Galatians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse number 11. Let me get my technology to work here, it'll be great. be talking on a biblical worldview on racism, and this is a topic that many people under the sound of my voice may think, well, I'm not a racist, but I'm convinced after reflecting on this message that many of the behaviors and ways in which we think about those around us have racist roots. The text we're going to read tonight out of uh, Galatians, Paul is very sharp in his rebuke of Peter and some of the behaviors and practices taking place within the church. And the text reads, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Pretty strong, confrontational, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, James was a bishop or pastor in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically. That's pretty strong. You racist, you hypocrite. Along with them, so that even Barnabas was one of Paul's foremost pastors, loyal. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14 is key. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So this is fairly important that even how we treat others can cause us to be out of step, out of sync with what God would have us to do with the gospel and with the word. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And he goes on in his discourse, I'll just continue on, it says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ." We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen. Amen. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. And the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not nullify the grace of God, 
For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Talking about a biblical view on racism, we're going to talk about what is the issue, what does the Bible have to say about it, how should we as Christians live in the midst of it, and then fourthly, how should we as Christians expose the darkness and preach the gospel. So let's get into this in, in terms of our, our topic tonight. Racism, what is it? What is racism? What, what, does it, what comes to mind when you think of the word racism? And I pray that we won't disconnect ourselves from the message because maybe we think, well, there's, there's no way that I'm a racist. But even after going through the scriptures and examining my own heart, I realize there's some things, attitudes, behaviors that we get caught up in that we don't realize has roots uh, deeply entrenched in racism. So racism, by definition, is prejudice, prejudging someone. So I'm going to uh, give you the, the textbook definition, and then I'm going to expand upon that definition tonight. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's race is superior. Now, that's a textbook definition. But if I were to, uh, to look at this topic tonight, it's not just concerning uh, uh, ethnicity and racial harmony and, and diversity within the body of Christ, but I also believe it, it, it is how we tend to look upon the outward appearance and make judgments about what we see. And oftentimes, you know, when we make judgments about things that we see, how many think that your way is always the right way? You always think, well, you got a couple honest people, right? But that feeling of superiority that has a twinge of racism, that when we think we're better off than the next person, we think we're more privileged than the next person. We think we have more at our advantage than the next person. To me, it has and has its roots in racism, that attitude of feeling that I'm better than someone else, or I get to judge or prejudge based on what I see on the outward appearance. Racism is motivated by many things. It could be fear, anger, hatred, bitterness. Ultimately, at the core is an ungodly belief system Primarily, it is out of a heart of sin that one would uh, give in and, and be subject to racism. One of the curses of, of, of the sin and, and the fall of man was separation and division. If we look at the end of Genesis chapter 3, the last verse, 24, I believe it says, talks about man being driven out and separated from the harmonious environment of the Garden of Eden. So think about it for a moment. Prior to sin the harmony that existed within the Garden of Eden, the watering of the earth, the earth automatically yielding its fruit, man eating of that fruit and enjoying fellowship with the Creator, nothing missing, nothing broken, a perfect and unadulterated environment of peace, tranquility, and harmony. That is until sin crashed the party. And we know that when sin crashed the party that it, it, it caused an interruption of that harmony that existed in the Garden of Eden. And one of the first uh, consequences of that was separation from, obviously, the tree of life and being set outside of the garden. And we know that in just eight verses later, the first murder that was committed was out of hatred, was out of racism, so to speak, of feeling that, uh, that anger and, and, and ultimate hatred and the antagonism that existed between those two brothers. So don't think that racism is just for the bigot or the supremacist 
We all have little ways in which we prejudge based on appearance, preconceived notions, stereotypes, those that are different from us in some way. Racism is not just a color issue. So I want to talk about that. It's not just about a color issue and, and feeling, well, you know, I have friends that are black, all right, if, if I was a white person or if I, vice versa. We all, we all make statements that, you know, try to help us feel better about ourselves in some way, shape, or form that, well, I'm not a racist. I'm not a supremacist. But racism is also a heart issue. The Bible says in Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16 and 7, if you wouldn't mind turning there. Sixteen and verse seven in the scripture. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And how many times in a nutshell have we judged a book by its cover, thinking that we have all the intel and, and understanding of, of uh, what's going on, but God sees past the, the appearance and the outward, and God looks at the heart. So that's the first establishment that God doesn't see how we see in terms of race and color and, and, and distinguish between that. God is not a respecter of persons. In Romans chapter 2, in verse 11, if you'll turn there, I believe there's power in looking into the word of the Lord and not just kind of breezing through, but it's important for us to read and hear and hear the word spoken over our lives. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, for God shows no partiality. And uh, one translation said, God shows no favoritism. God's not a respecter of persons. One passage says, and, and the issue is that racism dishonors God. We are all made in the image and likeness of God according to Genesis 1 and 27. God created man and woman, male and female, case closed. God doesn't look at anything else besides uh, you know, his image in terms of how he created man. The issue uh, at hand tonight to, to, to answer the question is that 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings is the most segregated time of the week. Church is the most segregated organism in America. The church should be the epitome and emblem of racial and ethnic harmony. But I, I've been around for quite a while, and I can tell you there are some people that, uh, you know, when they describe a church, well, do you go to that white church or do you go to that black church? And people have certain ways in which they describe where they worship. Uh, you know, and there are churches in which you know you do have a predominance of one culture or the other. But how many would uh, agree with me tonight that the church should be the emblem of diversity and the convergence of culture and different ethnic groups coming together to worship and honor God. That glorifies God. Amen? Amen. So as we uh, get into this issue, what does the Bible have to say about racism? Let's look uh, a little bit more closely at our text in Galatians chapter 2. We'll turn back there and kind of unpack what is really going on in this confrontation that Paul uh, has in his discourse concerning Peter 
And the Bible says that when Cephas came to Antioch, now notice it mentions uh, Peter here as Cephas. And in terms of, uh, you know, that name, anytime a name is changed in Scripture, it signifies an elevated or a leadership role or a difference of office or um, occupation. And we see that it was Peter who was called the rock. He was the one that got the revelation of who Jesus was. And here uh, Paul refers to, to Peter as Cephas. Uh, and, you know, and, and even in that context, all of us in this room have an obligation. We have a duty, amen, to love one another and to support one another in our works and in our, our, our treatment of each other. And so here he's, again, re- reaffirming his role as, as one that should be a leader, one that should be the rock, one that should be the example to the believers, and here, uh, the confrontation that, that Paul had was with regard to his conduct not being in step with the truth of the gospel in verse 14. Verse 13, he refers to his behavior as hypocritical. And here is the, 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 the essence of what's going on, is that uh, Peter ate with the Gentiles. And Antioch was one of the early churches, and that was a church that was... Uh, was emblematic of, of, uh, uh, of, a, of a diverse group, the Jews and the Gentiles worshiping together. It was a, a multicultural, multinational church. And uh, it was customary for, uh, for Paul to eat, or for Peter to eat with his believers and fellowships and so on and so forth. And, uh, and in, in terms of the feelings of those back in that day and time, if you unfold the text, you will understand that there were various cliques within the church. People that felt certain ways that religious and ceremonial laws should not be mixed with ethnic customs. They felt that was a line that should not be crossed. And so when, when Peter crossed that line by eating with the Gentiles, they, kinda, they didn't look upon that very favorably. And so when uh, the bishop from Jerusalem, James, came to the, to the assembly, they automatically uh, changed their behavior and started changing and not living in accordance with what they believed to be true and to be godly and in step with the gospel. They changed their behavior because of fear of being judged. And we see this uh, confrontation of Paul opposing and standing toe-to-toe with Peter and confronting them on this behavior contrary to what he was uh, going through. And the Bible tells us that this was a, a, not just a, a passive kind of experience, but it was, it was dangerous because it showed that there was uh, division in the church. And uh, culture should never uh, be a reason why we're not able to love and serve one another. We should never get to the point where we're too good to reach out to someone in need or have them in our home and you know, there, there are things, and I want to ask a question. Are, are, are you a racist? Is there anybody here that would consider themselves to be a racist? That's, that's a pretty strong word. It's a, pretty, it's a word that makes us bristle when we hear that word. We think of, well, that's not me. But when's the last time we had a stereotype in our heart and mind about someone, another culture, another person of another race? Right. When's the last time we had those thoughts? That all black people are thus and so. All white people are thus and so. And in the church, you're not even sure anymore because of what society had and the pressure that society has placed on us. Do you call black people African-American? Or do you call them black? 
You know, we're, 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 we're so busy trying to be politically correct about everything that we, we, we need to, we, we've kind of gotten on the bandwagon of the world and the secular system of how we address and affirm people. Uh, you know, and this happens all the time within, you know, within the state, state government. How do, how do we address people? How do we talk to people? All these different rules and, and, and of nomenclature and how you treat and respond to people. Uh, you know, and, and the, the bottom line is, and I, I've, I've sat in meetings and I've, they've, they've bantered around, well, how do we treat this particular group? How do we treat this culture and the underserved uh, Latino uh, part of our population? And, uh, you know, I said at these meetings, and I said, well, it's fairly easy. You treat them with dignity and respect. Right. We don't have to treat people a certain way because of the culture that they right. come from. Right. We don't have to pretend that we're down with a certain ethnic group to, to gain their allegiance or gain their acceptance. We just need to treat everyone with, with respect and dignity. And they kind of sat back and looked at me like, wow, I guess that kind of does make sense. <laughs> you know, we, this, is a sim- this is a simple gospel. And the scripture tells us that, you know, we don't have to make this complex. If we love one another as we love our neighbor, love our, our, uh, love our, our neighbor and, and love God, uh, everything else will take, take on the, 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 the correct uh, stature and the correct means that it needs to. The problem that we have, though, is that negative experiences and hurts and wounds from our past can damage and distort our view of others. I can tell you that growing up in the late 70s and early 80s, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. I can tell you that I was, I'm not going to say I was victimized, I'm going to say I was affected by being called racial slurs and treated in certain ways, having dogs sicked on me and having uh, you know, all kinds of uh, uh, unkind things uh, said to myself and my sister at the time, I can tell you what that feels like on the other end to be treated a certain way because of the pigmentation of your skin. I can remember even thinking, well, if this is a secular problem, and I, I can understand, you know, uh, to a certain extent of how people that don't know who I am and that don't understand where I come from can treat me that way in the world, but then I also recognize growing up in a very affluent part of New England in Stamford, Connecticut, which is a very at that time was a very segregated area of of, uh, of the country, and uh, in some ways it wasn't just covert; it was very overt. The behaviors and and uh, the racism that was and the prejudice that was profound, it even seeped its way into the church. And I can remember as a young person, you know, eight or nine years old, going to a church youth camp, and other campers saying, "I'm not going to room with that black boy." And making comments about not wanting to uh, to be in the same vicinity or step foot into a, a shower if if uh, if that black boy is going to be in the same room or the same dorm as me, and I can remember how that hurt and pierced my heart and wounded my spirit as a young person to understand it's one thing to have that happen at a bus stop or at a school or at a gym or on an athletic ball field, but when it's your own brothers in the Lord that don't understand you. That wounded my spirit. But I can tell you that God's love is so powerful that God's love showed me and that those, those experiences taught me something. It taught me how to depend on the grace of God. It taught me how not to hate and to have bitterness and anger 
towards others. It gave me an extreme amount of patience and compassion for others. That's not a work of my own doing, of my own intellect and ingenuity, but that was a work of a spirit causing his word and his love and his truth to seep into the deep places and crevices of my heart to not allow me to hate because of the experiences and the woundedness of my past, but to love more. And I can tell you that even in my children, I can see that there's no distinction in terms of who they love and who they gravitate towards because there's, when God does a work, he does a complete work. There's no trace of bitterness towards a culture or anything like that. And the best man in my wedding was a white man, and I can remember having a multicultural wedding and thinking of all the people that, that, were, that participated in the wedding. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a black wedding. It was a multicultural wedding. And I, I, I thought about that, and I, I, you know, I, I have to give praise and honor to God. Again, it's not a work of, of my doing, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit that God's love is powerful. His love is a holy love. It's not just an ordinary love. It is a holy love. It is a fervent love. It's able to overcome anger and hurts and bitterness. So when I talk about how negative experiences and hurts, dealings with different individuals can impact how you view others around you, the stereotypes, the beliefs that you hold, the attitudes of your heart uh, can, can, can greatly impact your ability and your capacity to love others. I, I'm also, um, I have to recognize that there is a, an ungodly belief system for those that hold and harbor areas of prejudice or racism or bias in their hearts. It is out of an ungodly belief system because our beliefs precede our actions. And our actions and our conduct and our behavior is all as a result of what we're believing to be true. Anything that is not according to God's word is an ungodly belief system. What I remark about the word of God is that sin doesn't just stop with one act of disobedience. It grows and it spreads like a disease. Racism doesn't just stay in a neutral terms, but it turns into hatred and bitterness and dislike and disdain for others that are not like you. It is, uh, the, the Bible tells us in, in the book of Genesis concerning the word spoken of Cain and his and admonition for us today. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. There's sin crouching at every one of us, waiting to pounce upon us and waiting to not make things better, but to make them worse. But the Bible says, you must rule over it. This is the part of us that, uh, you know, the Lord won't violate our own will, believe it or not. He, he made us a free moral agent. And we have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to rule in our hearts. And it's either self or the Holy Spirit that's going to rule in our hearts. And self is full of what? Selfishness and pride. Racism really, is really rooted in pride and selfishness. It says I'm better than the next person because of my upbringing or my original history. And there are twinges of that in our, in our hearts and our attitudes where we think, well, you know, we look upon others that may not be doing financially as, as well as we are. Maybe it's the derelict in the street. Maybe it's the drug addict. Maybe it's the person, uh, you know, who their, li- their, their, their lifestyle choices are different from us. 
we still extend a certain amount of racism towards those types of individuals. That spirit that says, uh, you know, I'm better than that individual. I'm better off. I want to let us know that the gospel, this is what I love. How should we as Christians live as a result of this issue? The gospel transcends our original history, race, and culture. The gospel captures all of those things and locks those things up and captures them for Christ. It is the gospel message that erases our original history. So it doesn't matter, you know, this convergence of, of culture and backgrounds is erased by the power of the cross. That the gospel gives us a new identity, that we're part of a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So that means you're not just a black brother or a white brother. You are a child of God. It doesn't matter what culture, what background, what economic status you've come from. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And if, that mean, if you're a new creation, it means you have a new identity. That your identity doesn't have anything to do with whether you come from this part of the globe or another part of the globe. It doesn't have anything to do with your diversity, your, your culture, your ethnicity. It has every bit to do with whether or not you're, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen? So what needs to take place within the church is to replace the ungodly beliefs, the stereotypes, the ideas, the thoughts that we have of other cultures those that are different from us, to replace them with godly beliefs. And that takes a realization that God's truth is higher than my own emotions. You know, we, we, we all have feelings about things that are not comfortable or familiar to us. You know, when's the last time that we went out of our way to get to know someone outside of our own circle of influence? We have a natural inclination to only fellowship and hover and gravitate towards those who are just like us. You look at any group dynamics within a church, within an organization, within a business, we all have a natural inclination to only gravitate towards those who are exactly like us, that think like us, that look like us. And what does that produce? That produces a church, it produces an organization, it produces a culture of people that are just like us, that think like us, look like us. But what would happen if us as believers would reach outside of the confines of our own circle of influence and begin to find out what it would mean to, to, to go into another ethnic group, for example, something that maybe we're not totally comfortable with. Maybe it's a, you know, there might be a language barrier, but I believe that the gospel is a universal message and that we should not be discriminatory in terms, in terms of how we reach people with the gospel. We need to look to reach those who are lost, those who are dying, those who are different from us. If, they, if, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost. And so if this is a universal message that can save any person that can redeem mankind, we are the rock. We are the, we are the Peters. We are the individuals with whom we've had the revelation of who Jesus is. And I believe that the word is speaking to us tonight to look at our own hypocrisy. We say we're not racist, but there are behaviors and attitudes that have racist roots. There are things about us that we don't reach outside of anyone that's not like us and whom we fellowship with and, and who we have conversations with about the gospel. We tend to only gravitate to people that we feel comfortable with. That in itself is a form of racism. So, and, and, and Paul uses a very strong word. He says that 
you're hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a person who does not live in accordance with what they truly believe or what they're convicted over. They say one thing, oh yeah, I believe the gospel's for everyone. I believe that, you know, it's to the Jew, to the Gentiles, to whomever. But what have we done to show that conviction in our actions and our behavior to go outside of people that are not like us, that don't look like us, don't act like us, don't think like us? What are we doing in our actions and day-to-day behaviors to, to be lights to, the, to, the, to those around us? And so there are attitudes and sentiments of our own heart that we each need to overcome. And as I said, racism is not just about color, not just about ethnic diversity and racial harmony, but it's the attitude of looking at others from an outward appearance and making judgments about those people based on what we see or based on what we don't see. It could be you have, and I know this is a stretch of the word racism, but I believe some of our behaviors and attitudes have its roots in racism. You know, could it be that we have a certain disposition towards people that are smokers and we're not smokers? I know I've had that attitude before. Well, I'll be around people and if you're still working and God's still working in your life and you're a smoker and you're here tonight, God is able to help and, and strengthen and deliver you and, and give you grace over that addiction, nicotine addiction. But I can remember being, you know, before Governor Minner back in 2001 or whenever it is had the Clean Indoor Act. Remember when you went to a restaurant, you had to ask to sit in either smoking or non-smoking. And I can remember being at a restaurant in Milford and... Uh, I asked for non-smoking, and sure enough, they sat me at the booth right next to uh, smoking. And they only had like a small, like two-inch partition that they set between the smoking and non-smoking. It wasn't as if the smoke couldn't pilfer over that little two-inch hump. But they thought that was uh, non-smoking. So I sat there for most of my meal, and I had this very annoyed look on my face. As I took a bite of my steak, I looked up over at the person on the other side of that divider at their smoking, and I thought my face and my facial expression could convince them to either hurry up and quit that, put that cigarette down or accelerate the process or something. It was very offensive. And my face and my demeanor throughout that whole meal was very, was very annoyed. And I know because I made sure that we made eye contact <laughs> while that was going on. And I'll tell you, when, when uh, that person finally did quit smoking, I felt conviction in my heart over my attitude, over my disposition towards that person who needed the Lord or could have needed the Lord. And I felt like the, Lord, the, the spirit of the Lord uh, prompted me to apologize to that person. What, me? Apologize? They, they offended me. And, and I'm having this argument with God, so to speak. I know it seems ridiculous, but I, I was kind of trying to get out of it. I, I don't want to do that. that my pride's going to be hurt. I'm going to have to admit that I was wrong. Sure enough, the Lord wouldn't let me off the hook. And I went over and I uh, approached the table and I just uh, had a few words. And I said, look, I, I just want to apologize for my attitude and demeanor towards you being a smoker. And I'm not a smoker. And that lady, tears began to come down her cheeks as I began to talk to her about the love of the Lord and, and what he's done in my life. And she said, I've been trying to quit smoking for years and I just don't know how. And right there, there was an opportunity to share the gospel with a person who had been struggling with nicotine addiction for years. 
So you never know what God can do when we repent of some of the attitudes of our own heart. The areas in which we might say in, in, in our pride, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist tonight. But I'm convinced that there are areas of our heart, attitudes of our mind, thoughts that we've, we, we have thought, uh, there are stereotypes and feelings and categories we put people in, the way we judge people based on what we see that has its roots in racism. And tonight, my plea is that we would radically repent and ask God to search our hearts. Are we being hypocritical? Just as Paul approached Peter and the church there for their hypocritical attitude of being one way around certain people and then being a different way when those people aren't present. And the pressure and the fear of being criticized for taking a stand and saying, we are going to be a diverse church. We're not going to allow you know, the circumcision. We're not going to allow the bishop uh, you know, from Jerusalem when he comes with his people to make fun of us for fellowshipping, Jews fellowshipping with the Gentiles and eating and having a meal with them. We're not going to allow that to influence how we treat one another in the body of Christ. If there's ever an opportunity for us to love and encourage and support and fellowship, it's right here in the house of the Lord. And this is an area that, you know, is personal. This is not some, I'm not here to condemn, I'm not here to, uh, to guilt trip anyone, but it's an opportunity for us to ask God, are there areas of my heart that I've had stereotypes about people, places, things, attitudes of my own heart that are offensive and that don't honor God? So we need to identify the ungodly belief system and confess it. Do not rely on your own feelings and emotions. If I were to rely on my own feelings and emotions about racism, I, I wouldn't like certain ethnic groups. I, I would distance myself. I would make excuses. I would avoid. But tonight, the way that we overcome those attitudes and feelings is to confess it to sin. Lord, I, I agree with what your word says about me. I agree with the attitudes I've held because of, for some people, it's their family upbringing. I went to college with people that had never seen black people until they came to Delaware. People who had never experienced being with another culture. I can remember, uh, was it Zach being on the, on the soccer team and we were the only black family on the soccer team and we're sitting, all the lawn chairs are out at Shooty Park and I heard this sweet little voice of a, maybe a two-year-old kid that said, look, dad, a brown boy scored a goal. And, and, and the parents, they were mortified. They didn't know what to say. Of course, we didn't turn around and look at them. We just kind of uh, nodded to each other and acknowledged what we heard. But it's amazing how many people that that's their upbringing. They don't understand how to work with other ethnic groups. They, they don't understand how to, to, again, gravitate to people that are unlike them. And so we need to rely not on our own feelings and our own emotions. We need to turn to the word of God. What does God's word have to say about loving our brothers and sisters what does God's word have to say about the attitudes of our heart? What does God's word have to say about the deception and some of the things that the secular world has placed within our hearts and minds concerning how we treat one another? How should we as Christians expose the darkness and preach the gospel? We should speak the truth in love according to Ephesians 4.15. And that's what Paul did when he confronted Peter and came to him. He spoke the truth in love. Some of us need to hear the truth. The truth never feels good. (laughs) 
the truth, if it's the truth, it's really, it's going, the truth is supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's supposed to make us uneasy and cause us to rethink how we're doing things. Speaking the truth in love. The truth is what destroys sin. The truth is what frees us, according to John 8 and 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You know how liberating it is to not have to have twinges of racism and bitterness and all of that in my heart? Who does bitterness and anger and hatred towards ethnic groups hurt? The other groups or the individual with whom that resides? And so even from a physiological standpoint, it is, it is unhealthy for us to harbor hatred and bitterness in our hearts. It only harms us, not just spiritually, but also physically. What I love about God's word is that God's word is a light. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, I'm not a racist. I'm not prejudiced. I'm not discriminatory. If we say those types of things... We are, in essence, saying we have no sin. We're free. We're, we're clear that that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't affect us. The scripture says we deceive ourselves. There's no kind of deception worse than self-deception. A person thinks that they're right and they're not. And the truth is not in this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only should we have radical repentance, we should pray for deliverance. We need to ask God to deliver us from some of the things of our upbringing, attitudes, comments, jokes, phrases, things made about other ethnic groups that are not godly and that do not glorify God. We might have private jokes in our home or whatever. You know, all of those things we need to confront and ask God to forgive us. They're not right. They're not godly. They do not honor God. Romans 5 and 8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ showed us his, his love. None of us in this room are deserving. None of us in this room are deserving of God's divine and unmerited favor. But he loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us when we were yet in our sins, in the midst of our dealings. He looked beyond our faults and he saw our need. Some scriptures tonight concerning racism in the church and how the scripture and how we should then live. Acts 17, 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. James 2 and 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Uh-oh. We treat people in accordance with what we see, what we visually see about them, whether it's skin color or other, we are, committed, we are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Do we show favoritism to people based on what they look like or don't look like? You know, I've been to churches and you see a lot when you've, when you've been born and raised in the church. You see an awful lot. And I've seen where Dignitaries and people of, of uh, you know of stature come to an assembly and they, they find the best seat in the house for that person. 
and they want them to sit right in the front row and you know, try to make them feel comfortable and all of that. And then, you know, a person that's a pauper comes in and maybe they have holes in their jeans and they have one shoe on. They may have, you know, two teeth. They, you know, they might be look totally disheveled. And they, you know, let's just park that person way in the back. We don't want to offend all of our visitors. This, you know, we, we're not going to, you know, make any to-do about that person. That's showing favoritism and partiality. Why can't that person be treated the same way as that dignitary and that person that we hold in high regard? Romans 10, 12 through 13 tells us, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I think there's going to be some surprise folks in heaven if they do make it to heaven when they see who's there. If they think it's all going to be one type of individual or one type of ethnic group, they're going to be very surprised because heaven is a place of all kindreds, of all languages, of all uh, nationalities. Right. Amen. That there, this is going to be a grand reunion. 2 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And so tonight I, I believe... You know, we're admonished through the word of God to lay aside the sin and every weight that so easily besets us. Let us run this race with patience. And God's not looking at us in terms of our color, of our ethnicity. He's looking at our heart, looking at the heart of the matter. Romans 12 and 1. Since, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so close, clings so closely. There are things that cling to us that are part of who we are because of our upbringing, because of culture, because of conditioning. We need to pray and cry out to God that those things will be rid of us and that those things will be uh, taken away and the Lord will change our affections and our desires to please him. Amen? Amen. The key takeaway and the key truth tonight is that as Paul admonished uh, you know, Peter and he talked about Barnabas, how disappointed he was in him being one of the premier pastors even he was led astray. That none of us in this room are exempt from attitudes that may creep into our hearts right. regarding the area of race, racism and how we treat other people and our embracing of other cultures and those who are, are different from us. And so tonight, I, as I close, I want to encourage us to just bow our heads for a moment. I know the time is running short. I just want to pray over us and ask God to help us in our attitudes, our thoughts, our behavior, our conduct, and our actions. We'll put conviction behind. If we truly believe the gospel message is meant to be shared, it will make it in a concerted effort to go outside of those we normally gravitate towards. And let's look for somebody different than who we are. Because I believe that we have a commission, amen, to go out to the highways and the byways and to compel. That word compel is a strong word. It, means we, it actually means to force. But hell is hot. And, it, and, and, it, and eternity's long, and it's something we need to have a conviction in our heart to reach out to those that are around us with the gospel message. So I'm going to pray over us that God would help us and convict our hearts of areas we need, we need to come up in and, and ask God's grace to, to move in us. Lord, I thank you tonight, Lord, that you love us so greatly, and you've set the awesome example of love. You didn't love us in accordance of what we've done or haven't done, but you loved us with an everlasting love. It's a holy love, a divine love. We thank you, Lord, tonight that your grace has been bestowed upon each of us tonight. We're here and we've been recipients of the word of the Lord and I pray that you would help us to, to uh, reflect and examine our own hearts concerning racism, thoughts, jokes, slurs, things that we've said that have, uh, perhaps have, 
have displeased you regarding other ethnic groups, whether we think it's entertainment or not, that, God, you'd forgive us and help us, God, that we would extend our reach beyond those whom we're only comfortable with in our, in our small sphere of influence. And, Father, help us to reach out to those around us, whether they're from a different culture or nationality or uh, another upbringing other than us, that, God, we would be comfortable enough to share the gospel and, Lord, be able to spill that seed indiscriminately, Lord, in this mission field of schools and, and uh, places of employment and uh, just anywhere that we go, places that we patronize, that, God, you would help us to be distributors of the word of God, to not be discriminatory with that seed and say, well, that person doesn't look like they need the gospel or that person, uh, perhaps somebody else will reach out to them, but that will be indiscriminate with the seed of, of the word of God and, the, and being able to sow it, Lord, out in the, in the mission field wherever we go. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to, uh, to, to grow in our love and the depth of our love for others, service to others, that, Lord, we'll be willing to be inconvenienced, uh, Lord, and do things that maybe we would not ordinarily do, that we'll do it out of love and out of honor and service to you. You said, Lord, in your word that when we do it to the least of these, we do it as unto you, Lord. And so we, brought, we ask that you would help us reconfigure our thinking and our thoughts concerning how we, how we live and how we govern our lives. We just thank you, Lord, tonight that we've, we've been able to share, Lord, these several and, and, and uh, you know, numerous weeks on a biblical worldview on many different topics. Let us not exempt ourselves from any of these topics and help us that, Lord, we would allow this word to marinate in our hearts even after tonight. And, Lord, we would uh, not be hypocrites by saying one thing and, and not living according to those convictions. But, Lord, help us to truly um, be ambassadors of the gospel and be able to go out and, and reach and compel, force others, as it were, to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Lord, and to experience the same joy that we have. We thank you, Lord. We just ask you to continue to bless the small groups and those that will remain to, uh, Lord, synthesize the questions and, and the responses from tonight's message. We thank you. We ask this in all the blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.